You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Tuesday episode for you. We're going to talk about where I left off last night. I told you we're going to talk about the Northwestern football situation, the hazing situation that went down, and what did I tell you? I'd be shocked if Pat Fitzgerald still had a job by today. And last night, around 6 o'clock Central Time, he was fired. We're going to talk about it all. I'm also going to talk about some other guys outside of Victor Wembenyama that played in the Summer League because some guys stood out to me. We got to talk about L.A. De La Cruz of the Reds because he is the number one reason why the Reds are in first place, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And finally, we are going to talk about a guy that got stabbed. And normally, when someone gets stabbed, you feel bad. Not this guy. We'll get to that momentarily. So as I just said in the open, the news broke around 6 p.m. Central Time yesterday that Pat Fitzgerald, the 18-year head coach at Northwestern University, the football team, who was a two-time defensive player of the year in the Big Ten back when he played for Northwestern, has been fired by the team under an investigation for some inappropriate hazing going on within the program. So there's a lot of back and forth here. Basically what happened was last week he was suspended for two weeks without pay while an investigation was being done. They were speaking to former players who had come out and say the hazing at this school was inappropriate and it was over the line. And I know maybe some of you out there listening to this have played college sports before, have played team sports before. And I think it's safe to say that hazing does go on at schools However, as we always talk about how I always talk about, there are levels to things. Not everything is equal. Because hazing can consist of, hey man, you need to carry my bags. Fine, I'm the freshman. I need to carry your bags. I was hazed in high school. But it was hazing to an extent of, well, they did lock me in the closet one time. (laughs) We were... (laughs) We were at a basketball camp for the summer, and I was a sophomore that got called up to varsity, and they decided to lock me in a closet. And then from that point forward, my nickname was Peephole because I kept looking out the peephole of the closet to get out, and they had a kick out of it. It wasn't traumatizing. Was it a little extreme? Yeah, probably. But I also had to do stuff as a sophomore on varsity to where it was like, hey, you need to be the one to pick this up. And it's like, okay, that's expected. You need to carry these bags. Okay, it's expected. Happens in the NBA all the time. Rookies need to carry veterans' bags. Happens in the NFL. Sometimes they tape them to the goalpost and, you know, throw baby powder on them or something like that. But those are fun. If you read the report of what was going on at Northwestern, according to a former player, this was not fun. This was basically degrading and basically sexual assault. You know, having center quarterback exchanges fully naked. See, here's the thing when talking about hazing and stuff like that, stuff that's extreme, where you make guys get naked and embarrass them by doing stuff in the shower or dry humping them on a bed like this former player said, went on all the time. Here's the thing. 
I understand in team sports there's got to be a camaraderie built, and you're looking to build trust with your teammates. I'm sorry, though. That doesn't do anything. Here, get naked and have a quarterback center exchange with another freshman that's naked? That's going to make you better? Last time I checked the schedule, in 2022, the Northwestern football team went 1-11, 1-8 in conference. In 2021, Northwestern, 3-9, 1-8 in conference. 2020, they actually played well, but that was a COVID season, so I'm not counting it. So year before that, 2019, 3-9, 1-8 in conference. So three of the last four years, Northwestern football was 1-8 in conference. How's that hazing working out for you? So you're putting your freshmen, you're embarrassing them, you're sexually assaulting them, and you're going 1-8 in conference. So clearly, it doesn't fucking matter how you haze your teammates to get them to trust you and to build camaraderie. Now, we're going to hear stuff. I mean, this thing is not far from over. I guarantee Pat Fitzgerald is going to lawyer up, say, I knew nothing about this. The player who spoke to the Northwestern school newspaper said Fitzgerald absolutely knew about it. And then you had a letter given out by players signed by some of the other players of the Northwestern football team that took to Pat Fitzgerald's defense uh, the other night basically saying he didn't know, we don't condone it, this didn't happen, this player is exaggerating. So it's kind of a he said, he said at this point. However, Pat Fitzgerald was fired, and they had hired an outside investigator to look into this. It seems like this is true. And it seems like this player is being honest about what happened to other players and what happened to him. And This is going to get dragged through the mud. I mean, it sucks for the Northwestern football team, not because, oh, they should, you know, get off scot-free because assuming that this did happen, which it sounds like it did because their head coach was fired, I'm just talking about the fact that we are about a few weeks away from spring ball starting up and they don't have a coach. So they have to promote somebody from within. They'll probably be a bet against team this year, so you'll see me betting against them and probably wanting them to lose if this is all true. And these guys are disgusting pigs who are sexually assaulting their own teammates in the name of camaraderie, in the name of, hey, you're one of us now, buddy. You know why? Because you went butt naked and had a quarterback center exchange with another butt naked dude. Yeah, that builds team camaraderie. It's so stupid. Hazing has never been a, a thing outside of, like I said, low level stuff. You're one of us. Carry our bags. You're the young kid. You have to pay your dues. And that's essentially what it is. It's just like, hey, we were all once there. We were all sophomores at one point. We were all the young guy on the team. You got to do this. You got to do this. Fine. I'm sorry, but anything involving being fully naked or any sexual advancements by the other, by your teammates, even if it's a joking matter, I'm sorry. That's not hazing. That's stupidity. And if you're the head coach of the football team, I have a really hard time believing Pat Fitzgerald was completely oblivious to all this. And I guess so did the front office at Northwestern because they canned his ass yesterday. This is a guy who is a Northwestern guy through and through, 18 years at the school, two-time defensive player of the year in the Big Ten when he was a linebacker for Northwestern, and they fired him after suspending him last week for two weeks 
And then yesterday, before the firing, the president of the school came out and said, you know what, we have to actually look into this a little bit deeper, and there's probably something more serious here. Because the investigation was kind of a, a little hearsay, but when this former player who went anonymous to the school newspaper and gave detailed analysis of what Pat Fitzgerald did, now Pat Fitzgerald's out of a job. There is another player who remained anonymous who came forward and said that the player who did rat out and went to the Northwestern newspaper to tell of all these things once told him he was out to get Coach Fitzgerald fired. And this was always a plan of his to do this and exaggerate the stories. So that's why I say Fitzgerald's going to lawyer up. He's going to say he never knew anything. He's going to say he never saw anything. And I don't know if we're ever truly going to know the truth, honestly. Because this player anonymously said this all happened. Another player is saying, yeah, that guy that ran to you and ratted us all out, he once told me this is what his plan was and this is what he wanted to do because he didn't like Fitzgerald. And he would probably exaggerate the story to make it seem worse than it was. And then you got the team members writing a letter Sunday night saying, this is what it was. Hazing, we are not a fan of hazing. So, and w- Coach Fitzgerald, we stand by our coach. So you just never know. You just never know. We're never going to know for sure unless footage and video gets released, which is probably the next thing. But we know in 2023, if there's not evidence, you're going to have plenty of people that doubt it. And you're going to have plenty of people that say this guy made it up because he had an ax to grind for whatever reason, playing time, We don't even know who it is, so we don't even know which is the guy that turned the program over and said these are all the things that happened. But considering how detailed it was and considering how many different forms of hazing this Northwestern football team was doing, according to this former player, you know, you kind of got to take him at his word. Because what if you say, thank you for your information, we appreciate it, but we're keeping Fitzgerald on board, and this continues then you're looking at more people getting fired and you're looking at probably a death penalty or some major sanctions handed down by the NCAA for allowing this to go on. So right now, we all know as much as what they're giving us. And I guess the only people who truly know what happened are the ones that were there. And I think if more kids come forward and say, yeah, the guy who told the story anonymously to the Northwestern newspaper if more kids come out and support that all it's going to take is two or three more, because if it's just one, I think you're going to have plenty of doubters. You're like, really? One guy says all this stuff happened and nobody else is backing his story. Then I think he's going to be doubted. However, I have a feeling that more players are going to come forward. They're probably scared right now. This guy came forward anonymously to the newspaper. Now the newspaper knows who he is. They're just not releasing his name, obviously for fear of retaliation by former players, boosters, alums, all that stuff. Just a sad, sad story all around, but it happens. We know this happens in sports, whether it's um, we've heard it happen in basketball and football and women's sports, women's softball, women's basketball. We've heard about hazing for years. Hazing goes on at colleges. We know this, but there's a difference between, hey, freshmen, carry my bags and hey, get naked on the floor while we dry hump you, you know? So That's what's going on. If you want to read the story, there's plenty of links out there. He gave a very, this this student that spoke out, former player, gave a very, very detailed account 
of everything that went on at Northwestern, how the coaches knew, how they signaled to the other guys, including Pat Fitzgerald, the head coach, signaling to guys which ones he wanted hazed. Man, that's ugly. It's ugly. It's a black eye for college football. It's certainly a black eye for Northwestern football. They're going to be a mess this year. Bet against them every week. <laughs> I mean, shit, they've been terrible the last three of the last four years. They've gone one and eight in conference. As far as I know, they're not expected to be any good in the Big Ten this year either. And now they've got a coaching change about three weeks before spring ball, st- not spring ball, but camp starts. I, I just can't imagine this team's going to be in it. I guarantee you're going to have people transferring uh, or at least saying, I'm done. I don't, I'm quitting the team. I'm going to put myself in the transfer portal. I'll sit out for a year. Not good times all around at Northwestern football, that's for sure. So I wanted to talk about some other people in the Summer League because yesterday I spent a lot of time talking about Victor Wembanyama. And there's some other ones that I watched this weekend that played a couple games. By the way, the Spurs came out today and said Victor is done uh, for Summer League. That's all they wanted him to do was play two games. So we're not going to see him in Summer League. We're basically never going to see him again until the NBA season starts, preseason basketball and then the regular season. So you got those two games of Victor Wembanyama. First game, nine points on two of 13 shooting. Second game, 27 points, 12 rebounds, and three blocks on 9-14 from the field. So two completely different games. He looked a lot comfortable in the second game, or so that he did in the first game. That's for sure. And we'll see how he does come the regular season. My concerns about him, same thing. Skill level, you can't measure what he's doing out there. However, he needs to not dribble the ball as much. He needs to not try and do crossovers in the lane and spin dribbles in the lane because he basically got it stolen or fell down every time he did it. But he's got to get stronger. He's got to build his endurance. we got to see how he holds up physically over an 82-game season. But the skills are there. When you're 7'5 and you're not clumsy, and he's far from clumsy, he's going to be good. I mean, he can seemingly put in 15 to 20 points a night in his sleep just by being that tall and getting offensive rebounds or getting putbacks, you know? What's that, five putbacks a game or someone lobbing him up towards the basket and then three or four free throws? You know, that's 12, 16 points a game just by doing that, and that's not shooting any threes. So I think he'll be solid as a rookie. But the rookie I was most impressed with over the weekend, even though he only played three quarters, was Scoot Henderson. And he was drafted third by the Portland Trailblazers, And the reason Scoot is so good is because he's played in the G League for the last two years. So he's basically played against pros. Never went to college, skipped his senior year of high school to enter the G League, played two years there, and he is just... First off, he's 19 years old, he looks 30, he's built like a 30-year-old, and he's got the skills, exactly what you need for a point guard. It's why Portland is looking to trade Dame Lillard. There's no point to have both of these guys. It, you could be like, well, Dame can teach him and, and Scoot can learn from him. No, you need Scoot to basically take control of your franchise this year. Get Dame out of there. Not that Dame isn't any good, but as, as, as we've talked about, Dame's holding all the cards, and Portland is going to end up getting probably 60 cents on the dollar when they make this Dame trade because he put them in such a bad position. I mean, Portland could be a total dick in this situation and be like, all right, Dame, 
You say that you don't want to play for us and you want to go to Miami. Well, we're not taking 60 cents on the dollar for you. You have four years and $220 million left on your contract. We're not putting, we're not sending you anywhere. You really going to just not play and not collect that money? Probably not. So they can call his bluff. I don't think they will. I do think they'll end up trading him, but I don't know if it's a done deal to Miami because Miami probably has one of the worst packages that they could offer Portland at this point. Portland's got Scoot Henderson, Jaden Sharp, Jeremy Grant. What do you need Tyler Hero for? So I, I, I don't I don't really know what they do, but I don't think they're going to I, – I certainly don't think that Portland is going to just acquiesce for Dame and make sure that he, they get – Dame gets to Miami. Um, maybe he gets to Miami, but it's through a three-way deal. I don't think it's a straight-up Portland for Miami deal. I just don't see – I mean, if they do, then Portland's just – they will be ripped as a franchise for uh, doing for Dame what he wanted. You got to get more. You got to get a superstar out of this trade. And Tyler Hero, while he's a good, solid NBA player, great three-point shooter, he's not a superstar. Portland needs a superstar. So, um, who else played well? Brandon Miller played okay. Um, Brandon Miller was the second pick in the draft with the Charlotte Hornets. I'm not sure if he's going to be. Look, it's still early. He's only played three or four games in the summer league. I think he's still got a lot to prove. Remember, he was the one that dealt with all the uh, gun firing when he was at Alabama, all that stuff. He played decent, had a lot of turnovers, had a lot of fouls. And I think the the it's still early. Obviously, it's early on all these guys. Um, there was, a, you know, Chet Holmgren didn't play last year or played before he got hurt. He, same thing as Victor Wembenyama, uh you know, I know that these big guys want to show off their ball handling skills and their three-point shooting skills. However, I, I every time they drove, they fell down or they lost the ball in the lane. And, you know, either he stands out there and then when he drives, he has to pass or he stands out there and just shoots threes. Or you just put him down on the block because it just doesn't make a lot of sense to have seven foot three and seven foot five guys playing on the perimeter. That's playing right into what the defense wants. So there are some other guys uh, that I thought did okay, but I it's it's still early and there's still only you know a few games in. We'll see who plays well. Jalen um, Jalen Hood Shafino from the Lakers I thought had looked good in spurts, but I think there's still I don't think the Lakers are expecting anything out of him this year. If they uh, they've pretty much built their roster, he's probably going to be a two way player that's going back and forth between the G League team and uh, the Lakers. So Ellie De La Cruz, the shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds, that was called up, has been doing things that you would think are just this is unreal. When he got called up, the Reds were twenty; they were five games under five hundred. Now they're 11 games over, and it's all because of L.A. De La Cruz. Have you seen this guy play? Do you see what he did on Saturday? He stole second base, third base at home in one at-bat. Not in the, not during the course of a game, in one at-bat. And I think you, you're you looking at L.A. De La Cruz, and you're, re, and you're looking at it, and you're looking at the standings in the National League Central. The Cincinnati Reds were horseshit for most of the season. They were terrible. 
Like I said, they were five games under. Nobody was even paying attention to them. And now here they are. The Cincinnati Reds are in first place in the NL Central by a game. They're only a game up on the Brewers, but they're 50 and 41. They're nine games over 500. They were five games under when L.A. De La Cruz got called up. And then they went 23 and uh, 9, 5, 4, eh, like 23 and 9, something ridiculous like that. So, I mean, I, you would you would thinking that maybe someone else would win. You know, Corbin Carroll has been the runaway rookie of the year so far in the National League. But, Jesus, if Ellie De La Cruz does this and takes the Reds to the playoffs, he plays the rest of the season, and the Reds get in there, I don't know if Corbin Carroll is an absolute lock because Ellie De La Cruz is probably the best prospect playing right now. And he's super exciting. It's not just he's hitting well or whatever. Like, this guy runs like the wind. He's setting – I think he has the fastest time from first to third. He's he's the fastest runner in the game from home plate to first. And he's completely turned the Reds organization around in one month. We'll see if he hits a wall. Maybe it, towards the – in the dog days of summer, in August and September, he really slows down. As of right now, he's not. So – Credit to the Reds for bringing him up and credit to L.A. De La Cruz for absolutely turning everything around. And finally, I told you at the beginning of the podcast that there was a man who was stabbed multiple times. And usually when you talk about someone who's been stabbed, it's a really, you know, it's unfortunate. It's a sad story. And you wish the guy well. Not former disgraced sports doctor Larry Nassar. Apparently he was shanked a couple times in prison by prison mates. Um, He's in stable condition. He was stabbed in the back of the chest by some inmates at the, uh, he was incarcerated in the United States penitentiary Coleman in Florida. And you also got to remember Larry Nassar was sentenced to 60 years in prison on child pornography charges. That was in 2017. Then a year later, they gave him another 40 years for sexually assaulting over 100 gymnasts, including Olympic gold medalists. And then, to boot, in February 18, they gave him another 40 years after pleading guilty to an additional three counts of sexual assault. So doing my math... Larry Nassar has 140 years in prison. Well, we all know he's not lasting 140 years in prison, and I don't think any of us are shedding a tear that he got stabbed by a couple inmates. Certainly not the over 100 Olympic gymnasts that he sexually assaulted in his career. Um, Larry, your days are over. And it's probably for the better. I'm not saying and I'm not condoning inmates stabbing their other inmates unless your inmate that you're stabbing sexually assaulted over 100 women in his life as a doctor and had child pornography charges. Have at it. Stab away, boys. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, Please follow in Apple Podcasts. Also, rate and review. That certainly helps the podcast as well. The um, If you're interested, the Daily Roundup is up in the Reality Steve podcast. My column will be up in an hour from now. 
on realitysteve.com. So again, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television.